Welcome to episode 86, that's right, 86 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Jackson Hole Marketplace, Jackson Hole's little community market on the south side of town. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash jhm to learn more. Hello from Jackson Hole, I'm Stephan Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole to share their fascinating story about daily life. I feel we can all learn so much from each other, and I intend to search out people and their stories, which will teach us all a little bit about life outside of our everyday circle. My guest today is Ben Roth. I had a great time speaking with Ben and learning about his many careers here in Jackson Hole. Ben's a former restaurant owner here in the Valley who found his success as an artist. Ben shares with us his thoughts on why art is important for all communities. Being a former teacher at the Art Association and current board member of Teton Art Lab, Ben is committed to keeping art alive and well in Jackson Hole. Today, Ben will share with us why he gets to do what he loves each and every day. Ben, right. thank you for accepting my invitation to be a guest on the Jackson Hole Connection. Excited to have you here today. My pleasure. I have some time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how did you land here in Jackson Hole? Let's start there. Well, I have a long history with the Valley. Uh, my folks met here in the 60s. My mom ran a candy store on the town square called the Kissing Cousins Candy Store. Nice. And my dad was a fishing guide working for Vern Bressler back when Vern had a guide service up uh, at Moose up by the post office there. And uh, I think they met in like 1967 and uh, spent three or four summers here working. And when I was born, we moved to Colorado, but we came up to Jackson every summer and fished the snake. That's where I learned to fish. And uh, I kind of knew it was the best and kind of hoped I'd end up here. Um, I went to school for a hotel restaurant management and had this idea that I'd have to like put my time in in a big city for a while before I was allowed to move someplace great like Jackson. I don't know mm -hmm. how I got that idea, but that's kind of what I thought right out of college. But about a year out of college, I found a job here in Jackson and moved here. That was fall of 96, running Rancho Alegre and then did a restaurant. Nice. I graduated with a degree in hotel restaurant management as well. Oh, excellent. Yeah. It's a pretty funny four-year degree, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Pretty easy. I, did you get it down in Colorado? <laughs> no, I did it in Las Vegas. How oh, nice. Yeah. That was a great school, UNLV. Yeah, um, pretty good. I was at the University of Alabama. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. In the south. Excellent. Yeah. Nice. Rancho Alegre. That's, that's an amazing property there. Yeah, it was not a bad first job in the Valley. And what was the other restaurant that you ran for a while? Uh, I started a restaurant with a few uh, business partners. It was called Terroir. It was a oh, French nice. restaurant where Trios is now. Uh-huh. That's right. We were around, we were around about three years, uh, heavy in the wine, and it was a good restaurant. But it was a, to make a living back then. It was a fabulous restaurant, for sure. Thanks. Thanks. I think in, you know, say like 2019, that restaurant would have been killing it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. We're a little ahead of our time. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And so you're not in the restaurant business anymore. Now you're an artist extraordinaire. I'm an artist. Yes. Yes. Yep. I've been Very... doing it a little over 18 years now. Okay. And how did you transition from being restaurants into artists? Well, I've always done art. It was always 
kind of in the back of my head on something I thought would be a great way to make a living, but I never thought you could. And hence the practical uh, degree in hospitality. Uh, but I was always I was always kind of dabbling in it, and but I hadn't really figured out what my medium was that I was meant to work with. And when we were building the restaurant, we worked with Steve Dini on the design, and there was a lot of metal in the design. And so I went and talked to John Sims about the metal part of the restaurant, and he said he'd love to be a part of it. And I said, well, we don't really have much of a budget. And he said, well, why don't I show you how to weld, and you can use my shop, and you can do a lot of the metal work yourself, which was an amazing thing to offer. And so he taught me how to weld, and I started doing all the metal that's still on the front of the restaurant, actually. And by the time we had the restaurant built, I realized I really, really enjoyed working with steel and the welding process. Um, and I was also into, really into design at that time, making, designing furniture and components for the restaurant. And just realized I liked that more than the restaurant business or more than hospitality. And wasn't, still wasn't sure if I could make a living at it, but I was interested in trying. Mm -hmm. Nothing better than lighting up some steel and getting it to connect with each other. Yeah, that, yeah. that's exactly what <laughs> blew my mind, was how quickly you can make this permanent connection that defied gravity so well. Yeah. Yeah, and just chop it and weld it. It was awesome. What type of mentor was John Sims to you? He was mostly doing sculpture at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I worked in his studio and went to him with questions. And we collaborated on one or two pieces, but not much. Uh, but he, he showed me how to use Rhino, which is the design software that I use for some of my work. And I'm not particularly computer savvy. I don't really like screen time. Mm -hmm. But the uh, Rhino technology is super handy for brainstorming, helping a client visualize a project, laying out the parts for a project, and uh, he taught me that. And then I worked in his shop for a few years, tried to keep the shop clean without much luck, <laughs> and then moved to my own shop after a few years. Nice. Congratulations. Thanks. And he's, he's got an amazing history, John Sims. I don't, I don't want to spend too does. much uh, on yeah on his thing but uh yeah phenomenal guy that what a great inspiration to know that you got to work with him congratulations yeah, yeah. it was it was it changed my life really it changed mm -hmm. the course of my life when he offered to let me work in his shop so what happened or what made you realize that hey i can transition out of the hospitality and, and really make a go at being an artist because you hear about the starving artists that's out there but you, you had to do some calculations that let you realize that, yeah, it's time to pull the plug, rip the Band-Aid off, and go for it. Yeah. Um, I will say that starting the restaurant was super helpful in mm -hmm. understanding business and borrowing money and budgeting and the importance of marketing. So having that st business startup, and, and I also changed the business model at uh, Rancho Alegre when I went to work there. So I had just gotten some practical experience in business. Um, I'd like to say I wrote a business plan to become an artist, but I didn't. I had a chance to get bought out and just took it. And that money covered me for about a year and a half while I was trying to get my feet under me. I was pretty naive to dive in and my timing was horrible because my first art opening was scheduled for September 11th, 2001. No way. Yeah. And so obviously I canceled that show and then we went into a recession. Uh, but being in Jackson helped. 
and having connection with other restaurants helped. I did some metal work for some restaurants and then I did some metal work for some of my clients who I'd met in the restaurants. People were building homes and the style of architecture was beginning to change back then. That was in 2001. And there was more like industrial looking metal and a little bit more contemporary designs being built. And so there was work for me to do that. So the lucky thing about my art form is that there is always a way to make money using those same tools. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're only a fine oil painter, I guess you could do commission work or paint pets or portraits or things like that. But with the metal shop, you know, you could always build a handrail. Someone always needs a handrail. Someone always needs a fireplace screen. Uh, I did a bunch of signs for a real estate company. And then they changed the name of the company and all those signs were obsolete. But uh, it was it was kind of a piece together and sometimes I'd get a bigger job and that would float me for longer. I thought I was going to do more like uh, design like a line of furniture and be kind of manufacture high-end furniture. And then I found that custom one-off was more my style. And then really I loved making sculptures. So the art and the sculpture was kind of always going on. And then I was doing this slightly more practical pay the bills type of work. I did a lot of work on the Four Seasons out at the village. I did a lot of work at Terra Hotel. Um, and now I'm mostly doing art and sculpture. And awesome. occasionally I'll do a piece of furniture. Okay. So yeah. you found your niche. You found your jam. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, how much of your time would you say that you spend as actually doing the sculpting creating the art piece and then how much time do you spend with the giving yourself to think to be creative the creative uh, thinking interesting question i thought you were going to say how much time do i spend producing versus like the business side um because that's something i've chose to emphasis focus on fabricating and producing art and less time on accounting and marketing and things like that but with respect to producing versus thinking and um, being in a creative space has kind of changed over the years. I think I, I don't rush through my projects as much now and I do think on them and walk away from them and sleep on ideas or go for a walk more than I used to. Uh, and I think that's maybe the result of being more realistic on my timelines, my deadlines, and realizing that if you give your subconscious some time to work on something, I mean, you're always, you're always running into design challenges or fabrication challenges or just something that's not quite working. And if you're, if you don't rush it, oftentimes the answer comes. And usually the answer is simplify. Usually if you simplify your dilemma, it usually goes away. Um, but I've always run my business where I'm producing art and in the shop 85% of my time. Okay. But that's not all making work. Some of that's thinking, some of that's walking, some of that's sketching. Sometimes that's taking a day off and going fishing. I bet you the fishing helps a little bit of the thinking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fishing helps a lot for a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) To work out problems, to forget about problems. Yeah. Work through loss. Yeah. And during your time here in the Valley, you've been very involved with the art community as a whole. Uh, Yes. And what are some of the the organizations that you've been a part of uh, here here in Jackson Hole and and maybe even nationally as far as in, in art community? I've kept it pretty close to home, mostly. Uh, I started out, like, it was kind of crazy how my life changed direction when it did when I left the restaurant. Like, the week I decided to leave the restaurant, I got a call from Karen Stewart, who was running the Art Association at the time. 
Mm -hmm. She said she wanted to start an after-school art class for high school students, kind of a hands-on practical approach to art. And there was a program down in New Orleans called the Yaya program. And that worked with inner city kids taking old furniture and repurposing it. And she kind of liked that model, but she said I could have some flexibility. And so I said, well, I'm working with metal and I'm just sort of starting my career as an artist, metal fabricator, designer. I wasn't exactly sure what I was, but I'm like, I'm happy to work with kids on it. And I can be like, we can all be learning together. We can be building things together, making business cards together, making uh, presentations for clients together. And I'm kind of, I kind of taught them as I did it. So I did that for seven years and I probably had about a hundred students over those seven years. And I really enjoyed that process. Uh, but it was very time consuming for, to make that model work. It's really a full-time job, but I was being paid kind of half time. And then I was running my own business as a full-time. So I kind of had two full-time jobs for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so I eventually had to step away when my own business was just going too, too much. Uh, and then I got involved with the Teton Art Lab back in like 2007. And I'm now on the board of the Teton Art Lab. And that's a very uh, grassroots, small-scale nonprofit here that tries to help working artists and to bring in visiting artists from around the world to positively influence our community and for us to influence them perhaps, kind of broaden our exposure to the rest of the world. And I'm still involved with them. I've also worked with the JH uh, Public Art. I've been, I've won a few projects and collaborated on some projects, participated in some kind of invited artist type projects with them. And uh, I'm currently on waiting to find out if I'll be making a piece for the Sage Living Center uh, next year. Uh, they're, they narrowed it down to, I don't know, 10 or 15 artists. Now they have to pick six or seven ideas to go to the new Living Center. And that's a project that'll be due in a year. Um, I have worked uh, extensively well, not extensively, but I've done several sculptures down in Vail, Colorado, and worked mm -hmm. with Vail Public Art down there. Um, I've worked in a few other mountain communities in Colorado doing installation art. That's a kind of a side gig I do where I'll do a temporary sculpture using found objects or dead trees or rocks or things. And those are pieces that are up for a period of time and then go away. And I'm also working with the town of Fremont in California. I've done one sculpture there, and I'm in the running for another one. Cool. Sounds like you have plenty in the pipeline right now. Knock on wood. Yeah, knock on wood. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to go back to JH Public Art. Okay. And I'd love to hear your, your thoughts and your perspective as far as what is the purpose of such an organization and, and how does it benefit the general public? I would say the simple, the quick answer is, it advocates for art in the community. Mm -hmm. You know, I think some people, and I'm in, within that group, feel that art and artists drive culture. And when you have culture in a, in a community, your culture will evolve. And unless there's someone standing up and fighting for it, it can get dropped or neglected. And we are a successful community. We have plenty of money in this community. We've got a lot of growth going on in this community. And I think having an organization that looks out for public art and the artists that make it is a valuable part to enrich community and make a community more culturally interesting. Okay. I, I think that's, that's great. And it, especially when you go to big cities that are 
have more established time. Let's say you go to New York and New York City, and you would see different sculpture sculptures throughout the city to where it's all, I feel like it's only been pretty recent for a community as um, culturally or culturally sophisticated as we are, that it's pretty new to have the public art, such as what you're, you're mentioning. Uh, I don't think we're ahead of the curve. No, no. Of our community. Yeah. I think we're doing pretty good. And we've got some interesting art in the community, but I think there are communities of comparable size to ours that have been doing it for longer or have made a greater commitment to it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're doing pretty good. Why do you think maybe we're a little bit behind that per se? Do you, do you think it's uh, the maturity of the community? Yeah, maybe just sort of our evolution and also the diversity of our community. It's mm -hmm. one of the things I like about our community, the fact that we have all these kind of subcultures and different groups that have different priorities uh, that makes our community interesting. But you compare our community to like Vail. When I work with Vail, it's like a smooth running machine. But that's because everyone who lives in Vail or is in Vail, they're all there for kind of the same reason. You know, there was nothing there before 1967. So that community was built with the intention of being a destination and tourism being the focus. And so everyone's kind of on the same team. Whereas in Jackson, we've got a little more, uh, a, a wider variety of special interest priorities. And I don't think that's a bad thing about the community, but it makes things like organizing a cohesive public art scene more challenging. Yes. Yeah, I can certainly um, see that. And uh, I know Aspen has a long history of a thriving local art community. Um, Loveland, Colorado has been doing it for a very long time. Um, I haven't traveled a lot to look at what other communities outside of the Rocky Mountain region have done. But and the other reality is we're a pretty young town. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but if you compare our community to the rest of Wyoming, we're, we've probably got more public art than a lot of communities of comparable size. Uh, yeah, I could I could certainly see that for sure. Um, and there's and public art is complicated. You know, I definitely have my complaints and issues about public art. Um, I've applied for lots of them. I've gotten a few of them. I've, I've executed a few well. Um, I've not got to make some pieces for really strange reasons or weird political things. Uh, not necessarily in Jackson, but just in general. Um, I found one of my complaints about public art it tends to be really safe art. And that is because people feel like, wow, it's going to be there forever. I don't want to do anything too radical. A lot of times the people who are picking the art are kind of uh, picked from the community. So you might get people from different parts of the community who are on the board that picks the art. And for everyone to agree, they tend to kind of water down the ideas and end up with kind of the vanilla idea. Mm -hmm. And so some of those things are frustrating about public art. And sometimes you end up with that piece of public art that no one likes. So it's... I mean, it's a topic you could go into pretty deeply, but I do like making public art. And although the, the best way to make public art, in my opinion, is find a private landowner that has a venue that the public sees and that pub, private landowner just hires me and I get to make that piece of art. Mm -hmm. I like the streamlined nature of that and the simple interaction with me and one other person. Whereas most public art, there is an application process, and an interview process and the watering down of the idea process a lot of times. I think there's some famous artists that get a blank check and a lot of free reign with the art they make. But for the next tier down, the rest of us, it's a lot of jumping through hoops and takes me out of the studio, which frustrates me. I, I can certainly see where 
That is frustrating. Um, going through a political process, I think for anybody can be frustrating. It's, I don't think it's simple for anyone no. to go through a public process. No, no, yeah. that's true. And you've got to be professional and do it if that's the route you want to go. And sometimes I want to do it. Sometimes I just take a break from it because I don't want to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, as an artist, it's tricky because you need to be professional and you got to do the work that's not so fun. But to be a good artist, I also think you have to be an emotional person because uh, having strong emotions shows in your art. And for me personally, I have to be in the right state of mind to be creative as well. And some of those processes that you have to go through takes me out of that creative place. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break from to get a word from our sponsor, but I want to come back to the emotional state and the creativity state um, okay. when we get back from our break. All right. Sounds great. Looking for a badass sandwich in Jackson Hole because you're a badass? Well, Jackson Hole Marketplace just launched their badass deli. Serving badass sandwiches made from premier ingredients such as bread baked daily from 460 Bakery, quality meat from Cy Ginsburg and Boar's Head. Jackson Hole Marketplace is locally owned and operated and has been serving the south side of Jackson since 2017. Shoot on down our way to experience something new in Jackson Hole. Visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash JHM to learn a whole lot more. So Ben, we were just talking about emotional state of mind and the creativity when it comes to art. And I, I want to hear more from you as far as what you mean by that, because I can certainly see a relationship when it comes to business as well, that you have to have a certain amount of, you put your emotions into it and you have to have creativity and you have to give yourself some time to think. So what is it that you do to put yourself in that frame of mind? Well, I make art pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. I go to the shop virtually every day or, or and I, I kind of live in that environment. I kind of live in that creative space. And uh, I think I get a lot of my ideas first thing in the morning, right when I wake up, often in the shower. Um, I'm always writing down notes. I get ideas at random times. Like some of my sculpture work is really redundant. So I might be sitting in my shop for eight hours welding wires together. And during that time, my mind wanders or I'll be listening to NPR or listening to some music and I'll get ideas and I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll do a little sketch or write down some notes and set those things aside. And that's just sort of the, the sculpture and the art I want to make kind of comes like that while I'm working. Sometimes it's out in nature. I was out skiing this winter and I came up over a knoll and I saw a dead tree with a live tree growing up its trunk. Hmm. And I thought that was really awesome. So I took a picture of that and then I went home and made a woodblock print of that. So some of my art, uh, my uh, environmental based work happens while I'm in nature. When it comes to like commission work, you kind of have to make yourself do the time, like sit down and whether that's with the sketchbook or in front of the chalkboard, which is behind me now, or at the computer designing, that's the like, make yourself do the work. And even if you're not feeling that creative, like if you have to design a coffee table, think back to the meeting, think about the parameters that you were dealing with, the, the quote problem that needed to be solved, or that bit of information that the client gave you that might help you kind of figure out what they wanted. Sometimes they'll show you reference images of work that they like, and maybe you look at that, and then you just get going. You just start drawing, or writing notes, writing words. 
Chuck Close is an artist, and Ooh, he's been yeah. quoted a variety of different ways, but the gist of his, one of his more famous quotes is, inspiration is for amateurs, I just get to work. And I appreciate that mindset, and I try to follow that rule. Now, I do know artists that will sit and wait for inspiration, and uh, that works sometimes. But for me, I kind of just hammer. I hammer away. I get at it. And if I'm getting nowhere, I'll go for a walk. But usually, I've, I haven't had too many creative, I haven't really had any significant creative blocks since I became an artist. I've had, I've had one or two jobs where I just couldn't come up with anything and said, I'm sorry, I don't think I'm the right person for this job. But I generally come up with something and usually comes out pretty easy. I will Congrats. say that life stresses can make that more difficult. And the most obvious one and the easiest example is money. Mm-hmm. If you're broke or you don't know how you're going to pay your next round of bills, you don't sleep well, and your creativity goes through the floor. Mine does anyway. I had a, I had a bad interaction with a client once, and it, I could have taken them to court to get paid, but I decided that that process was going to do more harm to my creative thinking and my ability to work than the money I was going to get. Mm-hmm. So I made a decision that might not have been the most uh, aggressive business decision, but I made that decision so that I could stay in that healthy state of mind. That's, that's very insightful for, for you to have that grounding, I feel. Well, you kind of figure that out as you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and when something is disrupting your sleep or your thought process or your creativity, you got to figure out how to eliminate that or cope. You know, after the 08 banks failed, I came close to going bankrupt. And for about four or five years, it was really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. and I made it through, but it, it, it took a lot out of me. I, I bet it did. It took a lot out of a lot of, of many people. Yeah. Um, and you, you mentioned some very good points, like proper sleep. I think a lot yeah. of people don't take that into consideration the way they should, and whether they're an artist and creating things, uh, you know, pieces of work such as what you're doing, or or even just in, in business and in life, you have to have that sleep. And, and I think just finding creativity in general helps, helps us stay healthy. Yeah. Well, I, the way I look at it, is most of the jobs out there aren't really fun. Mm-hmm. But there are a few jobs out there that are. But those jobs are coveted. So if you want one of those jobs, you got to work really hard at it. Mm-hmm. And making a living as an artist is a circuitous way to make money. So you got to do everything to increase your chances. Um, so like being a professional, controlling bad habits, you know, taking good care of yourself, uh, being in healthy relationships, whether those are romantic or friendship, like it's such a tricky way to make a living. You can't go sabotaging yourself. You know, I've known a few great artists out there where their lifestyle or their impulses prevented them from being successful. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a bummer that just being great at art is not all that it takes. It's, there's some people out there that make beautiful, amazing art that can't make a living at it. Um, and that word, art should be made. The world should get to see that. But, you know, unless there's widespread patronage of artists being supported by institutions or individuals, that's just not going to happen. You got you to gotta work extra hard to pull that off. At least I've had to. I've seen a few people that seem to make it look really easy, but I've had to just work my tail off to to stay above water mostly. And lately it's been going better, but who knows over the next year with the reality we're living in right now. I I feel that 
that's with a lot of aspects of life. You have to work your butt off. Yes, not I just mean, the surface. Yeah, but uh, yeah. being an artist probably adds a different level of complexity to it, a different layer of, uh, of complexity for sure. It seems harder than, uh, I mean, running a restaurant was very hard and I wasn't great at it. But <laughs> I thought I was going to be better at it than I was. I tried really hard, but I just didn't have that like cool cucumber, cool as a cucumber kind of attitude. And I wasn't passionate enough about food and wine really. But I will say that making a living as an artist seems harder than making a living uh, with a small business just because it's not so linear. Mm hmm sure you know there's just there's just a an extra layer of challenge that you've got to work through yeah feel. Uh, uh, not that my accomplished making a living as an artist is any better than someone who's been successful starting their business i think i think entrepreneurs are awesome like anyone who's decided to go it alone or reinvent something or do something other than a safe job i'm i say way to go and it's the life i've loved but you give up some security to do that. And I think that takes a certain personality. I'm often surprised when I meet people that are like, oh, I can't imagine doing something like that where I, my income wasn't guaranteed. And that made me realize a lot of people like security is more important than uh, adventure. That's right. Yeah. There, some people just aren't geared for it at all. They're not. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's not going to happen. So in the beginning of the show, you mentioned supporting local artists right now. Uh-huh. And what do you define as, as a local artist? Well, that's a pretty loose term, I guess. I mean, okay. I say support all the artists. Okay. <laughs> I mean, all artists need support, really. But, I mean, any, anywhere around this region, you know, we just, I, I was on a jury to pick an artist to do a new mural on the brew pub. And we picked an artist from Laramie, who's a muralist down in Laramie. And uh, he's gonna do a great mural for us. And he's a Wyoming boy. And he was going up against some artists from big metropolitan areas who were very successful. And, and his work totally stood up. So that was great. Uh, Teton Art Lab just did a thing called the Creative Cash where we're trying to help local artists out. And we gave money to 15 or 16 artists over the last month. And several of them were over the hill over in Idaho. Mm -hmm. uh, but participate in art shows over here or work over here. Um, I don't have much relationship with any artists in Idaho beyond Victor and Driggs, the rest of the state. I do work over there. There's great manufacturing going on over in Rexburg, and Idaho Falls, but haven't met many fine artists in that area. I've met a few down in Colorado, but there are 20, 30 people who live in Jackson who are either trying to make a living full-time or make art part-time while they're doing something else to survive. So that group would be great to support. You know, I have a few friends who paint full-time and live simply. And I have just as many friends who paint nearly full-time, but also have that nighttime server job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's tough to make it in this town. And it always yeah. has been. Yeah, um, no kidding. It, it, <laughs> And then add, add the layer of uh, being an artist is, is tough as well. I heard of um, somebody, they bought a piece of land here in the 80s, and it was like $25,000. Uh -huh. and, and they thought it was just a crazy amount of money back then for that piece of property. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Darn it. I wish I'd done that. Uh, yeah. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but, you know, yeah. it, you know it, it is what it is. We do what we – I think what's most important is – we do what we can do in the moment. We live in the moment, be in the moment, and um, 
otherwise you're going to drive yourself batty. Yeah. I also think uh, that it's hard to make it in Jackson. It's not impossible, but it does require a level of effort that uh, some people don't want to put out. You know, some people don't want to work that hard to live in a place. And Jackson's an amazing place to live. Uh, but to figure out your jam, like your housing situation and whittling down to a single job so you can have a quality of life, is not easy. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten harder over the years. I mean, when I first moved here, there were people who could work 20, 30 hours a week and have a great lifestyle here. Those people have all moved away because they couldn't keep that lifestyle up and stay in town. Uh, you got to work harder than that to live here. Yeah. It, it, does, it does take a certain amount of effort to, to make that happen for sure. Where could people see some of your pieces again give me a, a a recap of people were driving around town where they'd see a few of your pieces let's see my first big sculpture i ever did was back in like 2003 and those are the stingrays flying over the swimming pool at the rec center ah uh, really all right yeah cool yeah, there's 32 stingrays we see those a lot come flying out of the locker room and kind of up and around the slide uh-huh um i did the two deer on broadway that used to be at the bit in front of Walgreens, but now they've been moved down the road a little bit. They're across the street from the construction site. Uh, they're on Flat Creek. Uh, I have a lot of work uh, hung up at Suda Restaurant mm-hmm. on Broadway, and I've got five or six sculptures in there. I have three sculptures up at Sudachi on the West Bank. Let's see. Everything else is kind of subtle. Like I made the benches in front of Rendezvous Bistro about 15 years ago, uh, and a few signs around town I made. But that's about it. I've had a piece in, uh, on the space between uh, Persephone and the Juicery over the winter, big stainless steel sculpture. But that's going to go away in the next couple of weeks. What is, does that say love? No. no, there's some letters in back that they rearrange. Uh-huh. Sometimes okay. they say land and sometimes they say art. No, it's uh-huh. a stainless steel sculpture towards the front. It's called, it's bare root is the sculpture. Uh-huh. It's about 14 feet tall and it's lit up and it's made out of stainless steel. Okay. I'm going to have to Most drive that way home. Most of the work I've been doing recently is on private property. All right. Cool. So. And if people want to reach out to you to see some of your work, what's the best way that they can connect with you, Ben? I have a website. It's benrothdesign.com. Mm-hmm. Someone recently told me I have too much work on there and it goes back too far and I should probably trim the fat and have fewer pieces on there, but it currently shows my work from all the way back to the beginning. And then you can follow me on Instagram, which is uh, my handle on Instagram is Rothinator. And I don't post a lot, but uh, it's pretty much just my art. When a piece is finished, I usually post a picture of it or sometimes an in-process picture. That's fantastic. I love it. Instagram, I haven't jumped into that media yet. Um, I'm rarely on Facebook, but yeah. yeah, congrats for being on Instagram. Yeah, well, you know, I have my issues with social media and smartphones and technology. But I will say that platforms like Instagram are sort of one of the few gifts that have ever come along for a visual artist. You know, I, mean, I know you're kind of selling your soul a little bit to use it, but it's free and you've got this huge audience. And if you make something visual, it's sort of the perfect venue. I guess you can't say it's free. Nothing's really free, but uh. <laughs> it is a way that it doesn't take money out of your pocket for, and you're able to get your work out there and get feedback and I've gotten commission work through it and I've done limited edition woodblock prints and sold them just from people seeing them on there. So I try to keep my time spent on social media to under 
reasonable amount, but I struggle with that. But I, it has helped me to get my work out there into the world. You just mentioned uh, a medium called woodblock. Yeah. And tell me what that is. Yeah, so that's a two-dimensional art. A woodblock prints are a type of printmaking. So the term printmaking is a very broad term. It covers everything from laser jet photo reproductions to scanned giclée reproductions to etching, to lithograph, to screen printing. But one of the techniques is woodblock printing. And you're basically taking a piece of plywood or any type of wood, but there's this nice sheen of plywood that I like to use. And you carve the image out of the wood that's your negative space. And then you ink the block and then you print it on a piece of paper and you do a certain number of them and then you stop. So it's a limited edition. The print is the art. And I love it because it's every man's art or every person's art. Anyone can buy woodblock prints. You know, mine start at like a hundred bucks and they top out at like 500 bucks. And, uh, and they go up in value. Uh, they're collectible. They're nice to give as gifts. And they're a great way to support artists who make them. It's kind of this like side hustle I do. I do my big projects that pay the bills and then I make a woodblock print. I'll make an edition of say 20 of them and I'll sell them periodically and they'll, they pay for groceries sometimes. It's great that you have the creativity and the, and the mindset as well that you're willing to do what, what you have to and in using different uh, formats to, to create art. A and it puts it in other people's hands. Like you said, yeah. it's more affordable, so more people can have artwork from Ben Roth that might not be able to afford a sculpture. Yeah. yeah, I like variety. I tried when I was when I first moved to town. I met George Northup, and he was a bronze sculptor who has passed away in the past year. But great guy, very charismatic, and was making a living as a bronze sculptor. And I told him I kind of wanted to get into sculpture, and he said, "Well, it's a full time job, just like any job. Try sculpting for forty hours and see what you think." And when I managed Rancho Alegre, we had long off seasons, so I had plenty of free time. And I got all this stuff and I worked eight hours a day for five days straight. And by the end of it, I was sort of bored of that. And I thought, <laughs> oh, just working with one medium all the time would be sort of brutal. So I kind of turned away from the making a living as an artist. And now my reality is I work in lots of different mediums, two-dimensional and three-dimensional. Found objects, cast objects. I carve in wood now, fabricate steel. And that variety makes it easier for me. Uh, I also like making stuff that anyone can afford. I think anyone should be able to buy art. And, and the other thing about printmaking is it's very sculptural in the process. Uh, to make a woodblock sculpture, you kind of work backwards and you have to fabricate or fabricate it in your mind or figure out the processes that you have to do. So it sort of lends itself to the sculptural mindset. I mean, the final product's two-dimensional, but you have to sort of think three-dimensionally as you make it. Mm -hmm. So it works pretty well for me. And then I'm lucky because several of my artist friends went to school for printmaking or spend a lot of time printmaking. I do a few a year, two or three prints a year, uh, but I have this group of people I can go to and ask advice or opinions on how to execute it. That's pretty great. It's always good to have a resource of network, a network resource. Yes. For, for ideas. Yeah. Which we have a really great local artist community and we do support each other and show up to each other's openings, trade art, refer each other for work. That's awesome. It's better to share and get along than it is to you know, try to keep it all to yourself. Yeah. I've 
during, through the art lab, we've brought some visiting artists into town and they often comment on how impressed they are that we are so supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. I think there are other places where the art artist scene is way more competitive and a little more cutthroat mm. uh, and a little less supportive than we are here. I think in any, in any industry, there's enough to go around for everybody. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. The, that's one of Abundance. the things I like about the free market system mm-hmm. is that, you know, everyone gets to compete and the, hopefully the cream rises to the top. Yeah, that's right. So during the COVID-19 stay at home, what are you doing to keep your mind healthy and fresh? Well, I have work. I've been working. Mm-hmm. And it's been tricky. The first couple of weeks of it, I felt very unmotivated and not very creative. But I'm kind of back into my routine. I'm working regularly pretty much every day. If I'm here at my house, I'm either designing on the computer or I am carving a woodblock print right now that I will print when I'm allowed to go back into the uh, Center for the Arts when the carving's done. Uh, I also am going to my shop because I have my own shop. I don't share it with anybody else. So I feel like that's pretty safe. So my exercise is biking to and from my shop. and I go there and I work. I just finished uh, four penguins that I made out of screen. In fact, they're right behind me. There they are. Oh, no kidding. That's awesome. Yeah, there's four of them. And uh, I'm going to be delivering those to a client in a couple days. Uh, Tomorrow I get started on a coffee table for another client. And uh, what do I have after that? I'll be doing an installation sculpture at the uh, Center for the Arts starting in June. Cool. And uh, I've I've got about four or five months of work lined up currently. I'm glad to hear. Good for you, Ben. Hopefully that work sticks around. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time today. It's been great getting to know you on a different level and just getting to know you, period. And I'm inspired by how you're always able to keep it going. Um, you find your rhythm, you set your, your momentum and your habits, and, and, and you keep it going. And, and congratulations on your success. Thank you. I appreciate that, Stefan. Uh, it's been nice meeting you and having the conversation. And I'm so thankful that I get to do what I do and live here. You know, it's an amazing place to be an artist. And what a great way to wake up every day. I, I just couldn't be more thankful. Yeah. Heaven. I, I think that I think where we live is a great place to be anyone or anything. Yeah. 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 Indeed. We're so lucky. That's right. Well, be Before safe the out there. I will. You too. And it was a pleasure getting to know you. Thanks for doing yeah. this. You're welcome. Cool. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Yeah. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. To learn more about Ben and his really cool badass art, please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com episode number 86. If you know of anyone who'd be a fabulous guest, send them my way. Just shoot off an email to connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com. And many thanks to everyone who helps make this podcast happen. My marketing and editor, Michael Morey, musical director, Luke Taylor, my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I really look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection. Adios.